This is the Worth Recovery Podcast, featuring women and addiction. so my voice is a little crazy today, but I am grateful to be with you. My name is Amy. I am a recovering sex addict and I um, have been sober since December 2nd of 2012, which means that today, December 2nd, 2022 is my 10 year sobriety date. And so I wanted to get on and uh, share a podcast, a quick one, hopefully, um, just about 10 years sober, 10 years sober. That's a little crazy. That's a little crazy. So welcome again to the Worth Recovery Podcast, Amy, uh, recovering sex addict. So I'm a little sick. You can kind of hear it in my voice a little bit. And uh, last week, I was it was Thanksgiving last week, and I had a trip planned with a friend, and we were going to go watch a comedy show and blah, 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 and do all this stuff. And I ended up flat in bed, coughing my guts out for a good four to five days. Uh, didn't leave my house for a while and uh, am grateful to be definitely on the recovering end of that and getting better. And I'm so grateful for that. But during that time, I watched a whole lot of Christmas movies. <laughs> I'm kind of a sucker for Christmas movies in general. Um, and I watched a whole lot of Christmas movies. Um, and so I, one of the ones that I watched, I just want to share with you a realization I made. One of the movies I watched is called the Santa Claus. I'm sure you've seen that with Tim Allen. Um, and it's an oldie, but it's a great one. I think it's a really great show. If you don't know the premise of the show, um, a man becomes Santa Claus. His name's Scott Calvin, but he becomes Santa Claus after he knocks the real Santa off his roof and the Santa dies. And he picks up the clothing and puts it on and spends a magical night delivering presents with his son um, all over the world. But when he wakes up the next morning, he thinks it's just a dream. And he thinks that, that nothing really happened. It's all a dream. His son, however, that went on this adventure with him is totally convinced and spends the entire next year trying to convince his dad and everyone else that he really is Santa Claus. And when faced with all sorts of evidence to the contrary, and they tell him that no one can travel that many hours and or that many places in so few hours, or how does he get all the presents, or reindeer really don't fly, and you know when when faced with all of this evidence, um, Charlie, that's the little that's the little boy, always says every time he says he must say it like twenty times in the movie. He says, "Seeing isn't believing; believing is seeing." And so they put all this evidence in front of him and, and they're like, no, seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. And he talks um, and tries to convince people like, you have to believe before you can see the results, right? And of course, it's a Christmas movie. So in the end, Scott Calvin believes that he is Santa Claus and delivers Christmas presents all over the world. And his elves help him and 
it's a it's a fun movie. I really like it. I really like it. But that thought or that idea, um, seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. Has been just running through my head for about a week, and I knew that this date was coming, my sobriety date, because I celebrate it every year. And it's on my calendar. And uh, and I I've thought about that phrase in. Um, relationship to recovery and in relationship to sobriety. And so I want to talk a little bit about that. And I want to talk a little bit about just being 10 years sober. Uh, So we'll start with 10 years sober and then we'll bring in the believing thing in a second. So uh, it's hard. It's a little, it's a little weird. It's a little hard to believe, not hard to believe, but it's a little weird to remember and think that I am 10 years sober which means I've been in recovery for almost 12 years. Um, something that I never really thought, I guess, that would be possible. I remember those first, you know, really 18 months, 19 months of, of recovery where I couldn't find sobriety and I was continuously relapsing and I had a lot of, a lot of things going on and a lot of doubt, mostly really a lot of self-doubt about myself and my ability to stay sober, my ability to find sobriety and find a sobriety that worked for me and my ability to change. I had a lot of self-doubt in my, in myself and my abilities to change. One of the techniques I used to use, (laughs) um, that helped me to get sober, uh, was a technique that my therapist, uh, taught me, which is, um, to consult my 10 year sober self. He would always say, well, if you don't know what to do or you have a decision that you have to make or you're not really sure how to handle something, then you should think about like, what would my 10 year sober self do in this manner, in this situation, in what's happening? What would they say? How would they act? How would they respond? What would my 10 year sober self say? And now I'm 10 years sober and (laughs) I've got to come up with a new phrase because I still use that a lot. I consult my future sober self and think, what would they do in this situation? How would they respond in this situation? And that 10 year sober self, you know, when I was one year sober or two years sober, that 10 year sober self had a lot of wisdom. That 10 year sober self had a lot of experience. That 10 year sober self had done a lot of different things and experienced recovery in a lot of different areas in different ways. And had a lot to offer me as a one-year sober person or a two-year sober person. And I'm grateful today to be 10 years sober and be that 10-year sober self. Um, Real quick, I think it would be helpful maybe um, to hear kind of a real quick overall, you know, story, I guess. How did I get 10 years sober? right? How, what, what have I done in those 10 years? How is my life different? That's, that's the question most people ask me is how is my life different now that I'm 10 years sober? And I, I think there's a few ma- I mean, there's a lot of differences. There's a few major ones though, um, that I want to speak to. Um, one is I used to believe, I used to be one of those people that would always say like, I'm always recovering, right? I'm never going to say I'm recovered, I'm always recovering because I I do think that I have to remember and keep in mind just how far down the pathway I could go or I have gone in the past or I am capable of going and, and kind of keep that in mind. 
I used to believe that all that I would say that and I still I still believe that to a point. But I also believe that there's a difference in in how we approach things because that idea of like I'm always in recovery is a little bit shaming. That idea that I can never I'm never going to really change once an addict always an addict um is not not necessarily a loving approach to the self but more of a shameful and more of a um fear-based approach to the self. Um, I, I don't believe that I am always going to be an addict. I don't believe in a lot of ways, my sex addiction is, um, non-existent in a lot of ways. And I am really, really grateful for that in a, in a lot of ways. And I find I spent a lot of time, especially in early recovery and even prior to early recovery, when I was just trying to change on my own, uh, shaming myself or hating myself into changing. And I have found, um, especially now at 10 years sober, that approach just does not work at all. I think the only way that we find long-term change and long-term sobriety is by loving ourselves into that. And that makes me a little emotional because I work with a lot of people who are new into recovery and not only in my therapy practice as a therapist, I'm a CSAT therapist and a trauma therapist, um, but also in my coaching that I do through with recovery, I work with a lot of people that are new into recovery and there is this tendency to hate ourselves and to shame ourselves thinking that I can, I can build some compliance and build some change and shame definitely builds compliance. If you shame children, you will get them to comply, but they won't necessarily change long-term. And they definitely don't change the way that they feel about themselves. And the way that we talk to ourselves in recovery, if, if you could do one thing, it would be that. It would be to change the way that you talk to yourself, that you can love yourself into change, love yourself into a new life, love yourself into sobriety, rather than shame yourself into sobriety. I know that there is a lot at the beginning of recovery that we feel bad about. I spent, I remember <laughs> my first 18, my first two months, my first two years really probably in recovery. I'm a crier. So I cried every day, every day, <laughs> easy. Um, there was so much I felt bad about and so much shame that I had and so much that I had to work through. But what really started to change for me is when what, when things really started to change was when I really started to look at how I was approaching myself. And I would say the number one biggest change in my life is the fact that I truly love myself. I truly love who I am as a person. I truly love all the aspects of myself. Um, I can look at my life and while there are times when I've hurt a lot of people and times that I'm not necessarily proud of or times that were really difficult, um, a lot of different things there. I love those. I love my life. I love who I am. I love what that has made me. I love how the things that I've learned, the things that I've experienced, the ways I've changed. If you can do one thing for yourself and the biggest part of recovery that has changed for me is the way that I view and talk to myself. Because shaming ourselves into compliance will only work short term. But if you want long-term change, long-term recovery, that has to come with truly 
learning to love ourselves and truly learning to love ourselves into a new life, into a new um, sobriety, into a new recovery. And loving ourselves is one of the biggest things. Now, other things that have changed in my life. Um, I had to really take a look at my family of origin and my upbringing and the things that I had learned there. I didn't want to at first. I wanted to believe that my family was great and I was the problem and I was the broken one and it was just my fault. And if I could just learn how to make this work, then, you know, quit acting out then everything would be fine. And I have a lot of clients that want to believe that and leave their family of origin untouched. But I remember my first therapist used to tell me addiction doesn't happen in a vacuum. Meaning that addiction doesn't happen if there's not a system around it, um, a system around that person that creates the need for an addiction. And it took me a long time to crack that egg open and I'm still working on cracking that egg open. Um, but I, learning to really look at my family of origin um, is was huge for me. And the other really big piece I feel like that has gotten me here um, in 10 years of sobriety is to truly believe that people are doing the best that they can, the very best that they can. Because when I believe that about other people, I start to believe that about myself. When I believe that about other people, I start to believe that about myself. People are really doing the very best that they can. My life is different in so many ways, um, little ways. I have friends, like real friends, that when I'm struggling, I'll call. <laughs> I never did that before. I would try to hide everything that was going on. But now I talk to people when I'm struggling. Um, I talk to people when they're struggling, right? I would never do that. That's something I would hide. I would hide that whole side of my life and who I was when I was struggling. And now instead, I talk about it and I talk to people. Um, I have boundaries now. I don't allow people to yell at me or abuse me or treat me lightly. Uh, when I started dating again in recovery, uh, that's when I really, really learned just how different I was. Um, because I could tell that there were men that prior to recovery, right, uh, because they expressed interest in me, I would feel obligated to express interest in them. I wouldn't, I wouldn't ever approach a relationship from the idea of like, is this a good match? I would approach a relationship from the um, power dynamic of either they have more power than me and so I should just do whatever they want or I have more power or think I'm a better person than them. Um, I would always approach it from the one up or one down relationship rather than an equal and find out if this is a good match. That was, that was huge for me when I realized that I was, um, when I was dating, when I started dating in recovery, when I realized that I, I had changed, I was approaching dating from a whole different standpoint. Um, and that was, that was fascinating to me. I think dating really showed me how different I was in the fact that I wasn't, sex wasn't my greatest need, right? We talk a lot about in sex and love and relationship addiction, um, that sex is our greatest need. It's a false belief, but that's kind of what happens. One of the faulty core beliefs that develops in these types of addiction. And I found when I was dating that that wasn't the case, um, I was really looking for a different type of relationship than I had before. I think that was one of the biggest indicators to me of just how different I am and just how different I've become through recovery. 
Um, other things that have changed in my life, uh, boundaries. Like I really understand what boundaries are. I really understand why we need them, how they impact me. It's Brene Brown that says the more boundaried we are, the more compassionate we can be. And I remember being like, mm, that's not true, <laughs> right? Because that feels counterintuitive. And yet, once I started to believe that, I could see that in my life. The more boundaried I became, the more compassionate I could be towards others. Uh, there's just, there's so many little ways that my life has changed. Um, I would say financial stability too is a big part of re my recovery. Uh, I've, I've lived most of my life pretty insecure financially. Um, I came by that. My parents, you know, were not really great with money and finances and, um, and I never really learned that. And I learned those skills in recovery, um, to be better with my money, to, uh, overcome kind of under earning issues and really find some financial stability. So it's not just my sex addiction or my relationships that have changed. It's my relationship with myself. And it's all of these little tiny minute changes that result in a totally different life. And I'm really grateful for that. I'm so grateful for that. Um, on my anniversary every year, I buy myself a little something, um, a token or a coin or, or something. This year it's a keychain. And it has my sobriety date on it, but it also has three words that I'm highly emotional today. It also has three words that really, um, on each side of the kind of long rectangle here, um, that have impacted my recovery. Um, one of those words is courage. Uh, there was a year that I think it was the first year I, I podcasted, um, was my word of the year was courage. And I held courage conferences with you all over the place. And we talked about courage, the courage to recovery, because it takes a lot of courage, especially as a woman, to admit that there's a problem, to admit that there's a an addiction, but then also to recover in a recovery world that is so focused on men. And so I put that word on one side. Um, another side, I put the word discipline. Uh, one of the sayings I always say is I practice my recovery out of discipline and not out of emotion. And again, that comes from, um, he didn't say those exact words, but the idea was planted from my very first therapist, uh, Dr. Glade, of just that if I let my emotions rule my recovery and do things when I feel like that, or if I wait until I feel like something, you know, that's never going to happen. In 12-step vernacular, we say, take the action and the feeling will follow. And, uh, and so one of the things I really had to learn in recovery is discipline. I practice my recovery out of discipline and not out of emotion. And so discipline is one of the words on, the, um, on my keychain this year. And the other word is faith. And that goes back to what... Um, I was talking about earlier with seeing isn't believing, but believing is seeing, you know, in the recovery world, we, we talk a lot about having examples and being able to see examples of people who have recovered or who are recovering or who are making progress. Uh, we talk a lot about, um, 
seeing different things in the world, right? I need to see evidence. I need to see proof. I need to see that these things actually will work for me. And a lot of my clients will ask me like, is what you're asking me to do evidence-based? That's a big word right now. Or is there evidence that this will work for me? And, or they'll try something and they'll say, well, that didn't work for me, right? Didn't work. And I always ask them, well, how many times did you try? And there's this concept that if we see the proof, then we'll take the action. We'll believe it, right? If we see that things are changing, then we will believe that things are changing. I have found that the opposite is actually true in recovery. I have to believe that things can change first before I start to see the changes. A lot of times when I sit with my coaching clients or my uh, therapy clients, and I'll ask them like, well, what has changed for you in the last few weeks? Nothing, they'll say. Or last few months even, nothing. You know, there's nothing changing. And then I'll start to point out, well, you did this differently and you did this differently and you responded here differently, right? And you did this differently. And all of a sudden they can see that the progress that they're making. But it first had to start with the belief. It had to believe that you could make progress. You had to believe that you could change. You had to believe that things could be different. You had to believe that you could find sobriety. You had to believe that this program, whatever program you're in, would work for you. Believing is seeing. Once you start to believe, then you start to see the changes that are happening in your life. When I went into recovery, I told myself, I was desperate. I was so desperate for things to be different. And I was so ready for things to be different. And I told my therapist I would do whatever he asked me to do, right? I wasn't going to test him. I wasn't going to wait until, you know, I would see if there was a change. I just told him whatever he asked me to do, I'm going to do. Because my very best thinking had landed me in this spot where I spent almost 30 years, that's a long time, in addiction. My very best thinking had gotten me to this place where I couldn't maintain a relationship. I couldn't have friends. I couldn't be successful. I had just found out that I had had an affair that I didn't know about. Um, so many different things that had landed me in this spot. My very best thinking had gotten me there. And I had tried for years prior to that to use my very best thinking to get me out. And I couldn't. It just couldn't. It didn't work. And so I went in believing that someone else's thinking, I could borrow someone else's thinking. I could borrow someone else's ideas. I could borrow these things. I could believe in someone else. And that that could help me. And I could finally find progress. And so everything that I read, I devoured books. I devoured workbooks. <laughs> Everything that my therapist asked me to do, I did. My first week, he said, I need you to go to a 12-step meeting. And he handed me the information. And I told him, I was like, okay, I'll go. And I went. And there was only one other person at that meeting, me and her. That was it. At my very first meeting, was just two of us, her and me. And I 
I'm a crier. You know that. I couldn't even do anything but cry. So we sat there. And for an hour, she just read the white book to me and talked to me about recovery. And all I could do was cry. That's all I did the whole time. I don't know that I even really, I think I said my name and I think that was it. And she would ask me like, do you want to read? And I'd be like, no. And she'd just keep reading. And then she would share and talk about her story. Just the two of us. And all I could do was cry. (laughs) And I went back that week and I said, I went to a meeting that you asked me to. And he was like, wow, most people don't go there first week. (laughs) And I was like, I told you I'm desperate. Like I'm going to believe and do whatever you ask me to do. And it, I didn't miss a meeting for months after that. And there were more people. It was just happened to be a weekend where there was a retreat going on. And so most of the people were at the retreat and it was just her and I. But I tell you that because you need to believe that you can make changes. I tell you that because you need to believe that you are worth making changes for. And even if you've tried for a long time, I tried for years years, decades actually to stop. And I couldn't, I could not make that happen. And I know now a lot of that was because I didn't believe in myself. I didn't believe that I could make that happen. I didn't, I just didn't believe that. And so I didn't see the progress that I needed. I kept thinking, well, when I see the progress, then I'll believe that it will happen, right? When I see the evidence, I will believe it. But I've learned in recovery, just like Charlie learned in the Santa Claus movie, that it's the opposite. I have to have the belief first before I start to see the changes in my life. And so the other word on my um, token for my 10-year sobriety anniversary is faith. Um, with that in mind that we are believe, we have to believe first. We have to have the faith that it will work first before we engage and before we try it. There you go. There's a little bit today about my sobriety date. And I'm so grateful to be 10 years sober. It's not perfect. It's not a perfect sobriety. I mean, early on, I struggled a lot to, you know, I'd get close to the edge and then move back. And all of those games and those mental gymnastics, that's what I call it, the mental gymnastics that we play with ourselves about justifying and rationalization and the whole thing, right? And, and here I am though, 10 years sober, 10 years sober. And those mental gymnastics have gone away for 99% of the time. And I don't even really consider acting out. I don't even, it doesn't really occur to me that that's a, a solution or that that's something that will even make me feel better. And I, I'm just really grateful for that. I'm so grateful for that. I'm grateful for the 12 steps and for the work that that has been in my life, the hard work that that has been in my life. And yet how rewarding that has been to really change my very nature and really change who I am at the core. I'm so grateful for that. I'm grateful for all of those women that went before me in recovery, that continue to work recovery, that continue to stay and try and make efforts. I'm grateful for all of those people who have tried and failed and tried and failed and tried and failed for years. That was me for years, 
tried and failed and tried and failed. I want you to know today that if that is you, that it's okay, that you can try again. You can try again. Years and years of trying and failing and trying and failing until I found and believed that I could make those changes. And really, I found someone who believed in me that I could make those changes. And that belief in me helped me find belief in myself that I could make changes. And if that's all I can give you today is the belief that I have in you, that you can make changes and you can do and live the life that you want to live. It takes effort. It takes work. It takes sacrifice. It takes courage. It takes discipline. It takes faith. Courage, discipline, and faith. And it takes a whole lot of love. And that's what I offer to you today on my 10-year anniversary with my crazy sick voice and my tears. It's a whole lot of love. Because, excuse me, because I have been where you are. I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to struggle. I know what it feels like to fail. I know what it feels like to feel like there's no possible way that you can ever get out of the situation that you're in. And I just wished at that time that someone would have put their arms around me and said, that's not true. I believe in you. I believe that you can make those choices and those changes in your life that you want to. It's going to be hard, but I believe that you can. And that is what I offer you today is my belief in you. My belief that you can make the changes that you want, that you can have the life that you want, and that you can you can find recovery for yourself. In addition to my love, I offer my belief and knowledge that you're worthy of that, that you're worthy of recovery. I called my podcast and my coaching business worth recovery because I didn't feel worth recovery. And I want you to feel like you are worth recovery because you are. You're so worth it. No matter what's going on in your life right now, no matter what's happening in your situation, in your family, with your kids, with your partner, whatever it is, you are worth recovery. You're worth the effort. You're worth the hard work. You're worth the discipline. You're worth it. You are worth recovery. And if you don't believe that, you can rely on my belief in that. And you can rely on me to believe that for you until you can believe that for yourself. Believing is seeing, my friends. Believing that we can recover, that we can make different changes, that we can be different is seeing those things in our lives. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for all of you. I think about you all of the time. I pray for you and I love you. Until next time.
the legal stuff. The mission of Worth Recovery is to dispel shame and build hope in the lives of women struggling with and recovering from sex addiction. I am not associated with any 12-step group, religious organization, or therapeutic clinic. I am an addict sharing my own experiences and recovery.